Museum of the Moving Image welcomes you to the Pinewood Dialogues Online, an archive of conversations with innovative creative figures in film, television, and digital media. Visit Museum of the Moving Image in New York City or online at www.movingimage.us. Please welcome Nikisa Cooper. Um, so this um, is, is a, was originally a short film that Dee Reese directed with the same star, Adapero. And could you talk a bit about how it came to go from being a short film to this feature film? It actually had a really unusual path. It actually started in 2005 as a feature-length script that Dee Reese, the writer-director, wrote as she was on the, in breaks on the set of Inside <laughs> Man as she was interning for Spike Lee. Um, so uh, she wrote the feature in 2005. Uh, at the time, uh, we had started working together and done some short films. And I said, you know, I want to do your next, whatever the next project is, and that was Pariah. At the time, we didn't have the resources to shoot a feature, so we thought, you know, she needed a thesis to graduate from NYU's grad film school. And so we took the first act of the feature and made it a standalone and then shot that in 2006. Um, that got, once the short was out on the festival circuit, it got the attention of the Sundance Institute and they asked if there was a feature to consider and we, you know, Dee said, hell yeah, and uh, <laughs> she dusted it off and she participated in the screenwriting lab with Sundance in 2007, then in the directing lab in 2008, I actually took it to the first creative producing lab with Sundance in 2008 and then we shot in December 2009 and uh, we're at Sundance this past Sundance, 2011, and it was picked up by Focus Features there. Okay, you made it sound easy. <laughs> but tell us what Dee Reese is like. She's a dynamite. I met her um, once. She reminded me like a little bit of Sydney Lumet, I said, oh, at the, with the energy... Like the, you know, just like she's so driven and knows exactly what she wants to do. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, Dee, like myself, has, uh, <laughs> she has two master's degrees. So she, her first life, she was, uh, she got an MBA and went to work for places like Procter & Gamble, selling panty liners, working for Sharing Plow <laughs> on wart removers. And then I met her in her former life at Colgate Palmolive. Uh, she was working on toothpaste and I was working on toothbrushes. Wow. So that's actually how we, we connected to each other. <laughs> um, uh, she's dynamic. You know, she's dynamic, intensely creative, um, someone with, with clear vision and an ability to articulate that um, such that, you know, as a producer, it was just my pleasure to, to try to figure out how best to support her to bring that, that vision to life. Um, she's someone that does an intense amount of preparation. You know, when you're working in the independent space, you know, that we don't have a lot of money and resource often, so you need more time, you know, for the most part. And the amount of preparation that she did on her own, it was like an 80-page shot list, the amount of time that she spent with our cinematographer, Bradford Young, um, this was actually the fourth project that we'd all done together, so they almost had this sort of shorthand. Um, you know, we went through the shot list together, the three of us. You know, they would use me as the person to help block out the scenes, and, and all of that was important for me to figure out, you know, what type of equipment they needed, what type of lighting they needed. We shot on location in Fort Greene, Brooklyn, um, 18 days. Uh, and literally 11 of those 18 days were shot in a five-story brownstone. Uh, so many of those locations you see, we kitted out different levels of the brownstone to be different port, you know, parts of the film. So, I mean, she's just incredibly um, you know, gifted, talented, and great at you know, creating an atmosphere on set where you know, her actors feel you know, safe. You know, they felt safe going to the places that they had to go, everyone from Adapero, of course, to Kim Wayans. So it, it, it um, felt to me like she had everything she wanted to make the film so I want to know what your job as a producer is like it felt like she had the perfect cast 
um, you know, the the all the visuals look fantastic. It didn't it didn't feel rushed like you're describing. So what did what, what did you have to do to make that happen? Well, you know, I think you know my job as a producer sits at that the intersection of art and commerce. So you know, it's <laughs> my job to pull together all the resources, whether they're financial, physical, human. Um, so again, since we we had a lot of time, I spent a lot. You know, maybe a year, year and a half. I'd the film was. Uh, in terms of financing, I started financing in 2008 after we uh, had done the Sundance Labs. So about a year, a little bit over a year of financing. And so that entire time, that financing or procuring of resources is not just about money. It's also about the human and physical resources that we needed. So at the time, I would bring, I was living in L.A., and I would take trips back to New York, and I'd spend you know four to six months here every year just going to the post-production houses, the sound houses, telling them about the project, telling them about D, about the team that we assembled, and basically sort of begging for... For discounts and that sort of thing. <laughs> like literally, uh, Deluxe New York here did all of the post-production work. And I was, I think they broke down, broke ground on their uh, New York facility like in April. I was there in March, you know, with the entire team. They hadn't, they're still construction, meeting, you know, meeting the folks there, telling them about the project. So really just pulling together all those resources. I think yeah. once you do that and you put the proper amount of planning in, that breeds freedom. You know, so by the time we got to set, we were kind of a well-oiled machine. Um, so although we didn't have very many resources, Brad built his own lights. You know, we had a very small crew. We were really very prepared, you know, for the 18 days we had But you to shoot. shot on film, is that right? We did. Uh, okay, which we is unusual these days, right? Yeah, and again, uh, it takes an independent, you know, it takes a village to make an independent film. Um, so we had, you know, support from great granting organizations like Film Independent. They granted me film stock. Uh, the Sundance Institute granted film stock. Um, we actually secured uh, free equipment. Equipment, you know, a number of places. So again, it took a lot of time to build those relationships so that we could call upon them for the feature. But that's that's what it took. To so, are there any uh, t- questions from the audience? Go ahead. Okay, tell us about your Kickstarter campaign. Yeah. Absolutely. So Kickstarter wasn't really around or wasn't a big thing when I was actually financing the film, but it had just started to take off when we had learned we'd gotten into Sundance. Um, and so since I'd basically made the film on layaway, literally you know, raising up money to get it in the can, then raising up money to edit, then raising up money to finish, um, we needed funds to help us get to Sundance because we wanted to take, you know, give the film the best possibility to sell. So that's, you know, bringing the cast there and, and, and everyone. So Kickstarter is a crowdfunding resource, and it was not only a great way to, I think we raised about $11,000 in 30 days, Um, not only was it a great way to raise funds to offset some of the cost of bringing the team to Sundance, but it was a great audience engagement, you know, thing for us, because we had made the short film, but as filmmakers, it's hard to be a filmmaker, but also stay connected to your audience, so it was a great way for us to say, hey, Remember the, you remember us from a couple years ago? We've made the feature now and, you know, build an audience for the film before we even got to Sundance. So really, really amazing. And the Kickstarter folks are fantastic. And I've actually since then done another project on Kickstarter, raised 30 more thousand dollars. It's hmm. just a really incredible way that gives artists the freedom to connect directly to their audience. Hmm. Over here. Um, why did uh, Keith David go uncredited? I'm sorry? Why did Keith David go uncredited? Keith David. I'm sorry, you have to remind me. That's not Keith David. Yeah, I'm like, who is Keith David? Uh, no, that's that's Charles Parnell. Charles Parnell. Yep, he's a fantastic uh, actor out of L.A. 
So that's why Keith David went yeah, accredited. Like, who's Keith he- David? <laughs> 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 no, but he's he's fantastic. We um, you know we're so happy to have him and, and Kim play the parents. And you know one of the things that I'm really proud of with this film is that I hope you felt that the parents were three dimensional. You know, often so often in these sort of coming of age movies, you can the parents wind up being these caricatures. But it was really important that you know each of the characters in this film is a pariah, and we wanted to make them three dimensional folks that are flawed and and but you know still you kind of pull from them, you know, as throughout Did you the talk film. about casting Kim Wayans, who obviously, you know, was first thought of by most people as a comedian, uh, partly because of her lineage, but yeah. but this was a big role for her, and she did a great job. Yeah, this is actually Kim's first dramatic lead role, so Dee and I are really proud to have given her this opportunity, um, and she had actually, you know, we didn't know this, but she had trouble getting into casting rooms. She had wanted to get into dramatic acting for quite some time, and she couldn't even get in the room to actually read, because people wanted to put her in that box as a, as a comedic actress, um, and actually it, it wound up that her manager at the time was friend with our, friends with our casting director, and so we were reading it an actor and, and they share the same manager and she's like well why don't you guys look at Kim Wayans and we were like really from In Living Color okay you know so she came in and you know we Dee and I had been tortured about casting Audrey because we were looking for we didn't want the typical angry black mama we wanted somebody that could show the vulnerability that we needed um, because we didn't want her to be a villain in this film we didn't feel like that's what she was at all so Kim was the one actor that came in and just really blew us away like from the get go she walked in the door and it was like that's Audrey and she blew us away with our audition and from there it was easy <laughs> okay Steve So, you know, being picked up at Sundance by Focus has been uh, a godsend. They are incredible. So we, um, you know, we're being in theaters. It's a platform release, basically. So we'll be in theaters in New York, L.A., San Francisco on December 28th. And then we start to platform into subsequent cities week the weeks after. So um, it's really a, a game of, you know, will people know about the film, go out, buy tickets, tell their friends and family, that sort of thing. So we're, we're excited. And could you share like any of the thoughts about getting the film out there, like getting it um, to avoid being like put in a niche audience, you know, that it's like just for like certain types of audiences because it's, um, you know, like I was saying in the beginning, it's really a film that could touch anybody. I'm sure any audience you've seen it with is moved by it. Yeah, it's been really amazing with the short film and with the feature. To, no, it doesn't matter what the audience. Everyone finds themselves in the film, regardless of age, sexuality, gender, um, race. Um, it's been really amazing to have folks come up to us and say, you know, I can identify with, you know, having, you know, you know, been a teenager and had dealt with being on the outsider, feeling like an outsider. So that's what's been really amazing because we've been trying to pitch, you know, that this story is specific but universal um, for so long. Uh, To tell you a quick story about when I was trying to finance the film, I'm sitting in front of a financier and they're like, God, the script is so great. You and Dee are great, but if, but it's it's black and gay. If it were just black or just gay, then, you know, maybe it could warrant investment. Um, So, you know, having a, a machine like Focus behind the film definitely helps elevate I think the profile of the film Um, they've done an incredible job uh, ever since we were at the Toronto Film Festival that sort of the phoenix rising after Sundance Um, they've been screening it across the country um, in major cities and just building awareness and buzz uh, for the film and doing all sorts of other things that I don't even probably know about because they're amazing Um, we've actually been nominated for a few uh, awards um, within this award season which is also elevating the profile of the film well and D won an award for uh, the IFP for um, 
Yeah, breakthrough she, director. I she think? won yeah. uh, the Gotham Award for Best Breakthrough Director, and and Ada Perro has been nominated for an Independent Spirit Award. The film has also been nominated for what they call the John Cassavetes Award because we made the film for less than half a million dollars, mm. um, and we just uh, were nominated for two African American Critics Association Awards as well. So I think all of those things will help elevate the profile of the film, and it's really about also the word of mouth. These screenings like these, please, please tell families and friends. Don't don't underestimate the power, your individual power, to help you know spread the word. And could you tell us about Ada Perro at all? Because she's, uh, first of all, she's not a teenager herself. I mean, she's, so it's a great piece of acting. Sometimes people see a film and think, oh, she's, you know, the yeah, character's it's just... it's not a documentary. Like, you yeah, know? right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's, she's a really talented actor. Uh, she came to us actually through the, the short film. Um, and she actually read the breakdown and thought, sent her in her picture, and she's like, oh, I think I can maybe be an extra in the film. <laughs> um, so she was really surprised when we wanted to read her for the lead role. And she came in in her little brother's clothes in the first audition. Um, I was her reader, um, and she blew us away. And, and in fact, right after her audition concluded, Dee and I looked at each other and we're like, wow, that's... It was the first day of auditions for the short film, mind you. We were like, wow, she did it. She, she's really it. And I'm like, well, we got to look at other people. Um, and I got up to go to the restroom, and she was in the restroom, and she had changed back into her normal clothes, you know, her feminine garb. And so I'm like literally mouth open staring at her. She, I'm sure she thought I was weird. Um, and I run back <laughs> in to, to tell Dee. I'm like, she's doing the scene. She's doing the scene. Um, so from, from day one, literally, um, Ad Apparel has been a light, you know, someone who's committed herself, you know, 100% to the role. Um, someone who I think who has found herself as an actor, you know, throughout this five years that it's taken to get the film to screen. And I'm so happy. Like she's going to be, you're going to see a lot of her in the coming yeah. weeks and magazines and things of that nature. And I just hope this helps her career take off because she's really really truly talented and how about for you what has it done i mean since uh because the film's you know premiered almost almost a year ago so can you tell us about the types of things you're working on now yeah um you know i'll just go through sort of everyone at Ad- apparel's reading script so if anybody knows of any opportunities <laughs> coming up uh she's uh, available um d is actually working on a television series with hbo and Vi- viola davis which is awesome um she and i are actually working on another film for focus so we just mm. finished the first draft of that it's a crime thriller we're really mm. excited about it called mm. bolo um and i'm also i'm just supporting artists you know i have a couple of other artists that i'm supporting independent artists that I'm helping get their first features off the ground. I have a, a documentary in post, so you know, kind of keep my hands in the mix. You and D both talk really fast. Like you must have short meetings. Can you or guys, that's <laughs> <laughs> no, good. Energetic to the point. Yeah, exactly. Could you tell us uh, just as the last thing? Was there a scene or a part of the film that was really hard for you, like a challenge for you as a producer? Oh. Or probably were there a lot, <laughs> but is anything sort of you know the most challenging scenes from a logistics standpoint? Because like, if you guys recall, we shot eleven of the eighteen days in one house, so that yeah. was awesome. <laughs> uh, but you know, definitely the club scenes. You know, you have uh-huh. those sort of vast scenes that you have to populate not only with you know background, but you've got lots of equipment, and in, in order to get the sort of the beautiful colorscape that you guys saw, you know, yeah. lots of different types of equipment and, and lighting and rigging and that sort of thing. And we literally had I think eight hours in that club that day wow. to shoot all of that. So. So, um, you know, that was really just having the right resources and having everyone work, you know, like clockwork, clockwork was really, really kind of the toughest day. Okay. Okay, one more in the back. Yeah, they were. Yeah, Laura's place. It's so it worked. It Laura's place was the basement of the ground of the brownstone. Uh, Bina's was like one of the top floors. It just totally worked out that this space was. It's an old funeral home on DeKalb Avenue. Wow, you're familiar with uh, Fort Greene. <laughs> 
No, no, no. We um, actually great story. The we shot 18 days in December 2009, but one pickup day in September 2010 because it snowed. Actually, uh, the two days we tried to get the rooftop scene, and thank goodness because the ending poem hadn't been written yet. So you know, it's one of those happy accidents that we we, need, we hadn't shot that scene, but that scene was shot on the top of the uh, School for International Studies in uh, I guess it's Cobble Hill, Brooklyn. And who wrote the? Did D write the ending? Or yeah, D wrote it? all yeah. the original poetry. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, it's a really beautiful film, and uh, thanks so much for coming out here this afternoon to be Thank with you. us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening. The Pinewood Dialogues at Museum of the Moving Image are made possible by generous support from the Pannonia Foundation. To learn more about the museum, visit www.movingimage.us.